John 1, 19 to 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. I'm guessing that you've heard of the, uh, the, theory, the theory of six degrees of separation. It's the idea that every person on the planet is connected to every other person on the planet by no more than six degrees of separation. Uh, the people you know, they are one degree away from you. The people they know are two degrees away from you and so on. Mathematicians have tried to test this out and they think that it could actually be less than six degrees of separation between you and everyone else on this planet. Seems a little bit unrealistic, doesn't it? That's just six degrees of separation. I remember talking to someone quite a few years ago now about this, and I said it's crazy to think that there's only six degrees of separation between me and President Bill Clinton. And he said, well, it would actually be three degrees of separation between you and Bill Clinton. I said, what do you mean three degrees? And he said, well, I work with a guy who regularly goes to the United States and has meetings with Alan Greenspan, who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and he said, I'm pretty sure he knows Bill Clinton. So it's just three degrees of separation between me and Bill Clinton. I could have passed a personal note onto Bill Clinton because I knew someone who knew someone who knew him. It's incredible, isn't it? It's such a small world that we live in. Now, hold that thought. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. Last week, we started looking at John's Gospel, and we looked at what's called the prologue, those first 18 verses of John. And this morning, we're picking it up in chapter 1 and going through to the end of that first chapter. But we're still really just in the introduction phase of John's Gospel. 
For John, the ministry of Jesus isn't really going to start until the beginning of chapter 2. So in the prologue, in the rest of the prologue that we're looking at this morning, this first chapter, there's more about John the Baptist than there is about Jesus. Now it gets a little bit confusing when we're looking at John's gospel and talking about John the Baptist. You've got to keep remembering which John we're actually talking about. Now John the Baptist was obviously quite well known during his time. It had made a big impact. All four of the other Gospels all talk about John the Baptist. Matthew tells us the people were coming from everywhere to hear John and to be baptised by him. John the Baptist, as I said, is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. But the focus in the other three Gospels, not John's Gospel, but in Matthew, Mark and Luke, the focus is on his baptising work and especially the fact that he baptises Jesus. But that's not the focus that we have here in John's Gospel. The focus that we have in John's Gospel is John the Baptist witnessing, bearing testimony, testifying about who Jesus is. Now, if you've got your Bible there, have a look. Verse number 6, this is what it says back at the very beginning. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So did you see what's stressed there? John the Baptist is testifying about Jesus, bearing witness to Jesus. And then jump down to verse 15, says the same thing there. John testifies concerning him. That is Jesus. And then in the passage that we're looking at today, that's the thing that keeps getting stressed. Find verse number 19 of chapter 1. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem uh, were sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. Verse number 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jump down to verse 32, John gave this testimony. Verse 34, I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one, John says. Those words, witness, testimony, testify, they're the words that sum up what John's doing. As far as this gospel is concerned, John's baptism work is pretty secondary and doesn't even rate a mention. Rather than calling him John the Baptist, we should really be calling him John the Testifier or John the Witness. So what is the witness that John gives us in these chapters? What testimony does he have about Jesus? Well, strangely enough, the first thing that we actually hear from John is he wants to clarify who he isn't. So again, go down to verse number 19. The religious leaders from Jerusalem have sent this delegation to quiz John. They want to know who he is. There seems to have been a a heightened expectation at that time in Israel that God was about to do something, that something significant is going to happen. And the fact that the religious leaders have gone down to talk to John is is testimony to that heightened expectation. They haven't just dismissed him as a crackpot, which would have been easy to do. I mean, here's this guy walking around in camel skin and eating locusts. I mean, it would be very easy to say something very wrong with that guy. But they go down there to try and find out who he is. God's people were clinging to the promises that God had made. 
that he would establish his kingdom, that a new age would dawn and a new king would come, a new saviour, a leader for the people. So the religious leaders are wondering who this is, who John might be. So pick it up there in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those that have sent us. What do you say about yourself? The very closing chapters of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi God promises that before the Saviour comes, that Elijah will come, that he will kind of prepare things for the Saviour to come. They also wonder whether or not he might be the prophet because Moses had promised that there would be a prophet who was greater than Moses who would come and lead God's people. And John says, no, I'm not any of those people. And instead, he says this, verse 22. They finally said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Whenever the Queen holds a function at Buckingham Palace, she sort of enters last into these functions. And just before she enters in, there's someone who stands at the door and says something along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen, please be upstanding for Her Royal Highness, Queen Elizabeth. Do you know the name of the person who makes that announcement? Actually, no one knows his name. Well, I suppose his mum knows his name and he's probably got a couple of close friends who might know that he's the guy who gets to do that. But no one knows who he is. And do you know why? Because he's actually unimportant. It's the person that he's introducing that's important. And John says, he's just a voice in the wilderness. Who he is doesn't matter. It's the person that he's introducing that matters. And John gives us four different titles to describe this person that he's introducing in this passage. Probably the most significant of the titles is that he does refer to him as the Messiah or the Christ. That Messiah, that's the Hebrew name and Christ is the Greek name, both mean the same thing, the anointed one. And what stood at the heart of all of this was that this is the hope of Israel, that the one that God has chosen, the one that God has anointed is going to come. They were longing for the rescue that he would bring, longing for the salvation that he would bring. But John says that this person will also be the one who baptises with the Holy Spirit. That's a little bit lost on us, but it's one of the big promises in the Old Testament. But this is what John says, verse number 33, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. One of the defining differences between the old covenant for Israel and the new covenant that we are a part on of 
is that God pours out his spirit on all people who have their trust in Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, it was just a select few, a small handful of people who received the Holy Spirit, leaders, people who were appointed to a significant role. But the arrival of Jesus means that anyone who has their trust in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. John also talks about Jesus being the Lamb of God in verse 29 and verse 36. Now that's evoking again more Old Testament ideas. God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and it was a lamb that was at the centre of that activity. The Passover lamb that was sacrificed. But there's another image that comes up in the pages of the Old Testament about a lamb. It's Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 where it says he was oppressed and afflicted He didn't open his mouth, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. Jesus is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. But I think the surprising title that John gives is that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what it says in verse 34. Now, make no mistake about it, Jesus is saying, uh, John is saying that Jesus is God, God in the flesh. So that's John's testimony, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit, that he is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world and that above all, he is God. So if you had to sum up what this section is about, it's about John bearing witness, pointing to Jesus, telling people who Jesus is. But I want you to notice something. Find verse 35. We're also told about the impact of John's witness. Have a look at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. John had people who were following him, listening to what he had to say. Verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Two of John's own disciples who'd been hanging around with John for some significant time, as soon as John points out who Jesus is, they stop following John and start following Jesus. And John couldn't be happier. John is telling people about Jesus because he wants them to follow Jesus. And I want you to notice what happens next. Look at verse number 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. And it doesn't end there. Go down to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we've found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip becomes a follower of Jesus and the first thing that he does 
is go and find his mate Nathaniel and tell him who Jesus is. It's not just John who's witnessing in this passage. It's not just John who's telling people about Jesus. The natural response of those who trust in Jesus is to tell other people about Jesus. I love what it says there. The first thing that he he did was to go and tell his brother, verse number 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the first two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. There's a kind of urgency about what's happening here. Those who come to know Jesus, those who come to trust in Jesus, want to tell other people about Jesus. John spoke to his disciples about Jesus. Andrew becomes a follower. Andrew speaks to his brother about Jesus. Simon becomes a follower. Jesus calls Philip. Philip goes and tells Nathaniel. It's just a natural thing that people will do. If you trust in Jesus, you tell other people about Jesus. A couple of years ago, I used the uh, CSIRO diet, managed to lose about uh, 14 kilo. I mean, not that anyone's counting or that I want to boast or anything like that. But it's interesting that as soon as people saw me having lost a little bit of weight and asked, I was really happy to tell them all about the CSIRO diet, how fantastic it was. In fact, Debbie was telling me that I'd never shut up about it, that I talked about it all the time. But that got me thinking, I wonder if I'm as keen to tell people about Jesus as I am about the CSIRO diet. I mean, let's face it, one of those things is really important and the other one is just a way of losing some weight. I think we need to see the examples that we've got here in John chapter 1 and think about how this applies to our lives. As those who know Jesus, as those who know how important it is to trust in Jesus, we need to think about the people we know who need to hear about Jesus. This is where that whole six degrees of separation thing comes in. Those six degrees of separation are how we take the message of Jesus to the entire world. You saw it at work in this passage. John knows Andrew, Andrew knows Simon, Philip knows Nathaniel. And each one of us knows people who need to hear about Jesus. It might be neighbours, it might be workmates, it might be friends or family. Each one of them needs to hear about Jesus. And each one of them knows yet more people who need to hear about Jesus. As I said before, there's six degrees of separation between you and every single person on this planet. That means only six degrees of separation between you and every person on this planet getting to hear about Jesus. Makes the world seem like a very small place when you look at it like that. So here's the challenge for 2020. Why not make 2020 a year when you look for those opportunities to be able to talk about Jesus? You might be surprised how easily those conversations can get started. I mean, it might be at work on Monday when someone says, what did you get up to on the weekend? And you answer, well, I did this and I did that and I also went to church on Sunday. It could be as simple as just giving a Christian perspective on a topic or some controversial issue that's happening in our society today. 
might be lending someone a book, might be inviting someone to church or to Bible study. But here's what Peter says about that six degrees of separation. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Respect. 